Number 91790 CSX Transportation Inc. versus Lizzie Beatrice Easterwood and vice versa. Mr. Trenan. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, uh, this case arises from a railroad crossing accident in which respondent's husband died. Every one of these crossing accidents is a serious matter, and when the number of accidents reached the thousands, the increase in highway traffic, this became a matter of national concern. Congress faced up to this problem in the Federal Safety Act of 1970. It authorized the Secretary of Transportation to issue regulations and standards for all areas of railroad safety, and it directed the Secretary to undertake a coordinated effort towards solutions to the grade crossing problem under his authority, under both the Railway Safety Act and the highway legislation. Congress went further. It directed that the Secretary's regulations shall be nationally uniform. And Congress provided a sweeping preemption provision as follows. A state may adopt or continue in force any law, regulation, order, or standard relating to railroad safety until such time as the Secretary has adopted a rule, regulation, order, or standard covering the subject matter of such state requirement. Now, the until such time language was to avoid a lapse in responsibilities between the time the statute passed and the regulations were issued. In 1973, Congress went further, passed a Highway Safety Act in which the states were required to survey all highway rail crossings and implement improvements. Now, as authorized and directed by Congress, the Secretary has issued many, many regulations, and many of those include safety at grade crossings. As to each such regulation, the subject matter which it covers, the state laws covering the same subject matter are no longer in force under Section 434. At, at, at what time, at what date, uh, was the state law on grade crossings preempted, in your view? 1977. And that was be at the time the first regulation was issued? Yes. And what did that regulation require? It provided that the responsibility for determining the selection of devices, and we're talking now only about that state law tort duty, not all of them, but the state law tort duty of picking a reasonable selection of a device, gate, sign, flashing lights, which device shall be done, that responsibility was placed exclusively upon the state authorities. Even, even there, there was going to be a lapse between the time the state could implement its, its program and, 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 uh, and, and the time when the railroads might, might, might begin uh, withdrawing from this field, don't you think? Well, uh, possibly. I think the, uh, the uh, literal reading of this and the practical reading of the statute is that when the responsibility shifted, the responsibility shifted. Of course, this is now 15, 20 years ago, so the problem of the lapse doesn't apply in this case at all. Well, except I think we should identify the point at which preemption occurred. Yeah. Under the statute, the preemption occurred when the Secretary issued a regulation covering the subject matter of the state requirement. What the statute says that's what Congress did, and that's the way it works. The, the problem... Go on. I, I'm, I'm just uh, uh, pressing uh, Justice Kennedy's point. I, I think it is an important point, because although it's time passed and it's not involved in this case, it does bear upon whether your interpretation of when the preemption occurs is a reasonable one. 
uh, your interpretation leaves uh, a, a time period, namely the period after the promulgation of that regulation imposing upon the states the obligation to make that decision of, of what kind of uh, mechanism you use, uh, and the point at which the state actually issues such a decision with respect to each crossing. Uh, during that time period, there's no regulation by anybody. No, Railroads, question, state, federal, nobody. The question is, who's got the responsibility and the duty? There are lots of duties at federal at grade crossings. There's a duty to select the device, there's a duty to maintain the device, there's a duty to have a whistle, there's a duty to blow a whistle. Some are preempted, some aren't. And, and you say that during that lapsed period, no, no, not if, the if d during that period, after the promulgation of that regulation, if there were an accident at a rail crossing, the person injured would not be able to sue the railroad because it was no longer the railroad's responsibility to guard the crossing by some device, uh, nor could he sue the state because the state couldn't sue the state. Why? Why not? Because the statute had just been passed. You have to give the state a reasonable time. The state's certainly not negligent in, in failing to do it yesterday. These things didn't happen overnight. The statute was in 1970. The uh, statute putting the burden on the states was in uh, saying that they should be responsible was in 1973. This regulation was proposed. The states knew about it for four years. 1977, it just didn't come out of nowhere. So this isn't a question of uh, all of a sudden, oh my goodness. No, I'm talking about an accident that occurred a week after, a week after this regulation. Who do you, who, whose fault is it? It's also four years after Congress passed the Highway Safety Act in Section 130 that said that the states had this responsibility. So the answer is the triggering of the, of the preemption comes at the time the Secretary issues the regulation. That's what the statute says. This is four years after Congress had said the state should have this responsibility. Well, here's four years in which they could gear up for it. There, there is no problem of lapse here. Certainly not applied here. Mr. Treans, I'm having, a, I guess, a different problem about identifying the scope of the subject matter. And let me, let me just give an example. This is not the, the only one that I have in mind, but let me just give this as an example. Uh, with respect to those cases in which, as I understand it, uh, federal funds are used to improve the, uh, the condition of the, the safety conditions at a grade crossing. And it is determined, I guess in accordance with the manual, that some kind of a device uh, should be installed. The, as I understand the, the reg, the reg provides that the device is to include automatic gates. Well, the, the provision that it should include automatic gates leaves open, in fact, it seems to imply uh, that other um, other devices um, and, and other, other uh, means of warning uh, might be appropriate and, and might be imposed, uh, which I assume uh, refers back to imposed under state law. And I further assume, since I don't see anything to the contrary, that it does not, uh, that that assumption does not distinguish between state law in the sense of uh, 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 law uh, under which the state as a government might decide what the devices should be, or state law such as common law or tort law, which might decide the duty incumbent on the railroad, which they could only satisfy uh, by certain devices. So with respect to that particular example, doesn't the regulation itself imply that there is going to be some state law relating to the safety at that grade crossing, which survives even that regulation. No, no. It, it, what it does imply 
is there is a state responsibility to select and determine the appropriate device at each crossing. That responsibility is a responsibility imposed by federal law. By the well, why, why, does it, why does it imply a responsibility as opposed simply to a remaining power? We don't know what the we can't tell what the responsibility is for the reg, and it seems to leave it simply open. And I suppose the the answer would have to be an answer under state law. No, because the the reg in question uh, you're referring to, I believe, Part 646 of the yes. manual. The one I'm talking about is 924 and 655, and the one I'm talking about is pursuant to Section 130 of the railway of the Highway Safety Act of 73 and particularly on the regulations, which are the regulations, after all, which trigger the preemption. 924 and 1204 are the ones that put the responsibility on the states. And if there were ever any doubt about that, the manual, which is also a part 655, is incorporated in the CFR, says the determination of need and selection of devices at grade crossings is made by the public agency. And if there's any doubt about that one, it goes on in a later section, 8D, and says under the heading selection of systems and devices. Well, does the manual have the force and effect of law? It's a regulation. It's a regulation and a standard. So says in the CFR issued by the secretary. But even, even assuming that, yeah. uh, even assuming that, uh, isn't it still, number one, your argument basically is that by placing a responsibility uh, on a state or, 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 or local agency, uh, that that is a regulation on the subject matter within the meaning of the, of the federal statute. And uh, I guess I still have the problem that later and more detailed regulations uh, seem to suggest that more has been left open than your argument would, uh, uh, would, would conclude. Now, the, the manual and the way the states wanted it, because there was, a there was an effort to have further detail and an elaborate formulas on whether gates or not gates, the way the states wanted it, knowing they had this responsibility, was to say there was a variety of circumstances and they wanted more flexibility. The regulations I'm talking about not only imposed the responsibility for selection of devices upon the state officials, but tells them how to go about it. It's based on an engineering study at the particular crossing. You shall decide what's appropriate. And then in case you were wondering whether that was exclusive responsibility, the regulation also says traffic control devices shall be placed only by the authority of a public body. They have the authority, responsibility, and the exclusive responsibility. Now, is this, what's the state law duty we're talking about here that prior to preemption. And I, I won't uh, invent it myself. I'll read you from plaintiff's brief. It says that railroad's common law duty is determining that improved grade crossing devices are needed and implementing devices. That's the common law duty, or actually Georgia's statutory duty, which they would impose on the railroad. Now, these regulations I've been reciting put exactly that, the responsibility, the exclusive responsibility for determining the need for a device an implementing device on the state authority. How do we know that the subject matter is the subject matter of all state rules affecting safety at grade crossings as opposed to state rules or, or simply rules affecting the need for devices, which is simply a subset of the former? Well, I, I'm only talking now about the duty to select the appropriate device. I'm not talking about lots of other 
duties that a railroad has at a crossing. Railroads are going to continue to be sued at crossings, and in fact, of the five issues that uh, Mrs. Easterwood raised, uh, three of them are going back for trial or disposition in the trial court one way or the other. This, whatever this court does on the two narrow duties we're talking about, this case goes back for trial, or it goes back for further proceedings at least, on the three duties that we admit are duties at crossings, which were not preempted, or at least there's no claim in this case they were preempted, and that goes back. We're talking about the duty to select as between gates, lights, and signs. Who makes that determination? The plaintiff says under Georgia law, the railroad's responsible. The secretary has issued regulations saying that the states are exclusively responsible. Mr. Trenins, why, why don't, why, why, I, why isn't a, a, a better explanation of, of what you're arguing for that this is conflict preemption? I have the same trouble that uh, Justice Souter does, squeezing this within the terms uh, regulation order or standard relating to railroad safety. I mean, there, there's no standard contained in that regulation. It just allocates the responsibility for issuing the standard. Now, I can, if you're making the argument that it is inconsistent with placing that responsibility upon the state itself to instead, by state common law, impose that responsibility upon the railroad, then, then I can understand that that's a conflict preemption argument. Well, our, 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 uh, our argument in our brief makes both the conflict point and the point that the 434 covers the subject matter. It's certainly, nobody's, nobody on the other side has ever argued this wasn't a matter relating to railroad safety, whether you have a gate or a sign or a light. That's a matter relating to safety. No question about that. The question is whether the Secretary has issued a regulation covering the subject matter, and he's covered it like a blanket on the narrow question of who determines whether it's a gate or a light. Covered the subject matter. How, can, how more can you cover it? That's why, that's why I emphasize that point. To say that the subject matter of the state requirement is who's responsible. No, no, it's that's more a, than that. That's a strange subject. No, no, it's more than that. It's not only who's responsible, but how you go at it tells the state how to go at deciding how to go to the particular grade crossing and how to decide whether to have a gate or not have a gate. tells them how to make the engineering judgments. Your question is whether the secretary went far enough in the detail. That, you know, you could have formulas. There's mathematical formulas that people said, you know, if there's X trains times Y trucks, there ought to be a gate, and if not, no gate. The states uh, resisted that and said, no, no, that isn't the way to do it. The way you've got it in the regulations is the way it ought to be. It tells them what to do, tells them who's responsible, and tells them how to do it. What more, how, how more can you cover it? Now, Does the plaintiff's theory include a failure, a theory that somehow the railroad failed to identify the existence of a hazardous crossing? Well, I... I their theory apparently is stated in their brief is that the railroad had the responsibility and presumably uh, implicitly we failed to, ex failed to uh, perform this duty of determining that improved grade crossing devices are needed and to implement them. In other words, it was our duty to decide that there should have been a gate there and we didn't do it. I think that's their case. Or to at least identify and call to the attention of, of the state authorities. Uh, the well, they, they make that point, but uh, it's uh, first place, if it's their responsibility, and after all, the railroads work with these people all the time. The, work, the railroads do have an uh, obligation, when called upon, to work with these diagnostic teams that go out to each of these crossings. So the railroads are on top of this. 
It also has nothing to do with this case because what happened here was there was a diagnostic team, and the railroads were fully uh, in on it. The diagnostic team went to Cartersville, Georgia. It went there were five crossings in Cartersville, Georgia. They went and they looked it all up. And they said, all right, let's, uh, tentatively, let's have gates at all of them. The city of Cartersville said, wait a minute, at Cook Street, it's too wide. You've got to build an island in the middle of it in order to accommodate a gate. Putting that island in will cause a hazard to trucks. And therefore, the state authorities who are responsible for selecting devices weighed the highway safety alone, the highway safety in relation to the railroads, and they decided at Cook Street, they wouldn't make them build the island. They would uh, have flashing lights, in fact, six flashing lights and signs and booms, and that they decided, they decided that there would not be gates at Cook Street. The railroads didn't decide this. Would that give rise to a state law defense in the well, uh, cause of what it does give rise, Well, what it does give rise to is that the states are responsible, the states are not immune, the secretary has made a survey and found that most states there's no immunity. Well, excuse me, do you think it would give rise to a state law defense? To whom? The railroad? The railroad. Uh, I, don't, I don't know because uh, all I'm concerned about here is the fact that having this process, having the federal regulations prescribing the process, and having a statute that says that when you cover this very subject matter it's preempted, we don't get to that. They say, well, you know, maybe you would have a nice state law defense and maybe a jury fine for you. But on this narrow issue, this is not for a state court or a state jury. Mr. Treen, is he going to talk at all about the speed issue? I have one question, or two questions about that, if you're not. Well, uh, the, 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 on the speed issue, that's the one where we are the respondent. Court below found there was preemption. Solicitor General agrees on preemption on that. The Secretary has a regulation on speed that has the allowable speed over right. this and other tracks. We're not dealing with train operations generally. We're not talking about lookout here. We're talking about speed alone. And also, speed is not a separate subject. Speed is not a subject separate from what device do you have at the grade crossing, because they're interrelated under the Secretary's regulations. But in any event, our position is the subject matter of train speed has been covered, and it's preempted. What happens if the train went, 70, went over the speed limit? Would that be a matter of federal law or state law? Could they it would be a violation of federal law, but you could sue in the state court on a common law basis under a, a case Justice Brennan wrote called Crane. In other words, there would be a violation of this regulation, and the railroad would be subject to suit. And what if, uh, what if the plaintiff claimed that the local, con that the speed that the train traveled at was incompatible with uh, uh, an essentially local hazard? What is, how does that play out in your view? Well, the local hazard, I think uh, the Court of Appeals below and the Solicitor General, we all agree the local, essentially local hazard is not implicated in this case because uh, if you'd said every grade crossing is a local crossing, that would just swallow the national rule that they got out. Well, but what, what, what would be, what if the plaintiff thought that because of dense population and, and, and a lot of bushes around or something that the that the 60 mile an hour limit was uh, uh, dangerous. Is there any way, is that, pre is that claim of that kind uh, preempted or how does that play? Preempted, but there's uh, the city of Carterville, if they thought that, not only could have gone, but had right sitting in their lap gates at that crossing and they didn't want them. 
But if they, if they, under your question, if the A city thinks there ought to be gates there, they go to the State Department of Transportation and say, No, yeah, not a gates gate problem, just that, that right. because of the particular local conditions, the 60 mile an hour speed, it seems to me you re could read the statute as saying the speed limit is not always going to be, there could be an essentially local safety hazard, which would uh, uh, indicate that a lower rate of speed would be necessary to avoid the, the danger at that local local. A place. Well, if, if a state, not the city, but if a state were to come along and say, because there's something very unusual about the horseshoe curve, and I picked that because that's in the legislative history, and therefore, somehow, uh, there ought to be a uh, special speed limit there, uh, then I think that, then that local exception would apply. But and that no, could nobody's apply tried even, it. In a, even in a, in a jury trial, even without a regulation. No, you can, no, no. it's got to be a state who identifies something extraordinary and then has a statewide. It's a more stringent law, rule, regulation, order, or standard. That can't be a, by adjudication, in your view. No, it's got to be a state has got to get it out. I have a. Uh, I guess I have a problem that goes one step beyond Justice Stevens's, and again, it's a textual problem. The the regulation on speed, uh, it was at 213.9, speaks simply in terms of the maximum allowable speed, which again, by its terms, seems to imply to me that there may be some source of authority uh, that uh, could appropriately set a speed as appropriate but less than that which is allowable, which again implies that there is some state authority left to do this. Well, I, I, we don't agree that there is any such implication, and one of the reasons is that the Secretary of Transportation has a number of motives, one of which is to get the trains through. Congress has beaten on the Amtrak to speed up the trains, and the speed, the speed is, uh, allowable speed is the speed you, you're allowed to go at, period, as far as we're concerned. And that's what we think the Secretary uh, regulations to call for, and once once he's covered that subject matter, it's preempted. Uh, so suppose the railroad knows that the main road's closed and that a lot of school buses are taking a detour over an unmarked crossing. Does the railroad have a duty to slow down? Railroad, uh, no. No. The, the, the question of the crossing... No storm, road. fog, no duty to slow down? No. they got a duty to look out, but not, not as speed as such. Suppose they see the school bus stall, but they have well, to that, slow That's down a lookout that. question. Then you have to take all appropriate measures to avoid the collision. And of course, there's a problem there. You got this heavy train, and you can't swerve. But yes, so I don't. I don't say that at all. He's got a lookout problem. He sees the bus. Well, He's got to do everything well, he does, can. Do the regulations talk about a lookout problem, or is this something? No, that's not preempted. What? Why? Can you tell me why that is? Well, the secretary not having issued a regulation on that, the state law continues in force. Well, I, I'm not sure when a, a lookout problem begins and when a speed problem ends. Well, if he's going at the allowable speed, he looks, and under your question, he sees a school bus sitting there. He's got to do, take every step. To, first, he's got to maintain an adequate lookout, and secondly, he's got to take every feasible step to avoid the accident. That's a state law question, not preempted, not involved. I just want to say one thing about this uh, federally funded uh, problem that the Solicitor General injected in this case after cert. It doesn't make any sense under 434. There's no basis for the distinction, and it produced entirely goofy results if you have three crossings identically protected, one with federal funds, one previously erected, and one built with state funds. One's preempted, two aren't. That makes no sense at all. Besides, it's ironically, all of them in this case, all the Carterville ones were improved with federal funds, so this argument created for this case doesn't apply to this case. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Trinan's.
Uh, Ms. Mahoney, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, uh, this is the first time in 20 years that this Court has had an opportunity to interpret the preemptive scope of the FRSA, and we'd like to make three basic points about how we think that it needs to be interpreted. And the first is that we share the view of the parties that 434 should not be interpreted to preempt common law tort actions against railroads for violations of their duties to operate trains in a safe manner. Second, we think that it is also um, important, however, to recognize that under the language, when the Secretary has covered the subject matter of a railroad's duty, that standard of care must govern. It is a federal standard of care defining the railroads, the content of the railroad safety obligations under the circumstances that must control in this case and in other cases. So the critical question becomes whether, in fact, the Secretary has covered the subject matter of the particular claims that are at issue. As to those claims, on the grade crossing issue, we do not think that the regulations cover the subject matter of these claims. On the speed issue, we think that they do, and let me explain why. Ms. on the um, grade crossing area. Yes, Your uh, Honor. How, how should we view the manual on uniform traffic control devices, which says the determination of need and selection of devices at a grade crossing is made by the public agency? We do not disagree that the determination has to be made by the public agency. What this is referring to is final authority. It has always well, been the so case. Could, could there be a state tort law obligation on the railroad then to identify the need? Absolutely, Your Honor. We think that the way the manual works, it's simply talking about the system that's in place. We have to recognize that when we're dealing with grade crossings, although the railroad has the right-of-way across the tracks, the highway is there as well, and the state has to have authority over whether a gate arm is going to be installed on its highway. Mm -hmm. They can't allow railroads to go and put up gate arms because they think it's good for safety. Authority over it, Ms. Mahoney, but not responsibility for it. Uh, the regulation does not uh, simply repeat the situation in place. At common law, the state has no responsibility to assure the safety of, of, of each intersection. Well, the, the state has the final word. The railroad could not put up a, a gate or a flashing signal without the state's consent. But it seems to me an enormous change for the federal government to say, henceforth, the state shall have a positive responsibility to assure the safety of these intersections. Whereas before, under state law, it was the, it was the railroad's responsibility. And, and it seems to me quite a different system, and, and a system that seems to me in conflict with, with the old common law rule. Your Honor, we don't see uh, what you, we do not see anywhere in the statutes or the regulations that say that it is the state's re responsibility to ensure that the grade crossings are safe. In fact, it, it does not say that. Don't, don't they have a responsibility to make studies and to determine what should be put up? That's different than the MDUTCD. Now we're talking about the federal funding program, and yes, to use federal funds. They have a responsibility to make sure that federal funds are used properly to survey and prioritize projects for the use of those federal funds. The language of the regulations and the language of the statute does not speak in any way to what the state's obligations are with respect to grade crossings that are not improved with federally funds. 
And, in fact, the regulation 646.210 specifically says that state laws uh, that govern the railroad share of grade crossing improvements shall not be applied when there are federal aid projects. The clear import of that language is that state laws requiring railroads to pay for grade crossing improvements, to undertake the duty to do so, are still in place. We're talking about payment. I'm talking about responsibility to make the decision. Is it not the case that for both federally funded and non-federally funded, is it it the government's position that the state has no responsibility under the regulations to uh, inspect grade crossings and to make a determination of what safety features are necessary at those crossings unless federal funds are being used? Is Is that the government's position? And unless it, only when federal funds only when federal the, the, the state has no responsibility to, to inspect other crossings at all no not under federal law under state law they ordinarily do but not under federal law the federal government did not say as a condition of getting federal funds you must go out and um, implement improvement projects at grade crossings that you're not going to use federal funds for does, that would be a Pennhurst problem Ms. Mahoney doesn't the federal government let, let, let her finish your answer, answer. I'm, I'm sorry I, under Pennhurst uh, to, to say to the states that you, you now will share all of the res- you will have the entire responsibility for improving grade crossings throughout your state. You'll not only have to pay for them, but you'll, you'll have to assume whatever tort liability there is would be a condition that is certainly not explicit in the federal funding statute. We have consistently interpreted that the federal funding provisions to apply solely to federally funded projects. But, the- but Ms. Mahoney, this, this manual on uniform traffic control devices is not speaking about federally funded. No, it is not, Your Honor. It just says the determination of need and selection of devices at a grade crossing yes. is made by the public agency. Yes, it does. Meaning the state. This was, deter- this was adopted by virtue of, the, the history is important here, a bulletin in 1977 adopted this, as incorporated into part of the manual. And we think that our interpretation is perfectly consistent. In other words, need and selection. A railroad identifies a hazardous crossing. It comes to the state as every uh, citizen must do when it needs approval, and it says, I need a gate arm here. The state has to determine whether a gate arm is needed there and whether it's appropriate to have it installed. That's what this language oh, but speaks that to. that is certain state responsibility state responsibility by federal regulation. But it doesn't say that the state must go out on its own and determine um, what crossings need to be improved. It doesn't say that it has a financial responsibility or duty to go out and do that. That was left to state law. And in fact, even in the 89 report to Congress, the secretary was quite clear that the uh, extent of responsibilities, the joint responsibility for improving grade crossings still rested with states. Ms. Mahoney, does this, are you finished with your answer? Yes. Does the state have an obligation under federal statutes to make a survey of all grade crossings? To get federal funds, yes, it does, Your Honor. But it is not required to use that survey for implementing projects that are not federally funded. It is solely so that the federal monies can be used in an appropriate way. And and this state, the state of Georgia, I take it, has undertaken that survey, has it not? Yes, it has. And your position is that they they are required to survey these non- funded intersections just for the fun of it? No, Your Honor, it's not for the fun of it. It's so that when federal monies are used 
there can be a determination about where they ought to but be. But they're not used. The I mean, uh, well, why can't it, they would save a lot of money to say we will decide in advance which ones we'll use federal money on and we'll survey those. But that's not what they Well, you can't, you can't. You shall survey everyone in the state, right? Your Honor, how can you decide which ones you're going to use it on if the whole point is you want to prioritize unless you survey all of them? Yes, they have to survey them, but we do not tell them, unlike, uh, contrary to what the railroads have said, we do not tell them what hazard index they have to use how they have to rank them, and we certainly don't tell them. And your position on, on the requirement that they shall determine the need is that they shall determine the need if the railroad comes and says there's a need. That's, Otherwise, we're talking about under the MUTCD. That's right. The MUTCD says nothing can, very be, strange interpretation. nothing can be installed on a public roadway unless the responsible local authority says that, it, that it's appropriate. That is true not only with respect to crossing devices, but also with respect to every kind of stop sign that a business may want to have at its, at its corner or uh, at its, its driveway. All, all determinations. There may be a need when no one asks to put up anything. The railroad doesn't ask a thing. In that case, nobody determines. That's need, right. right. No one determines needs under Very those sorry. circumstances, except that under state law, the regulatory authorities do assume responsibility for this. So the problem that we're describing, it doesn't really happen, but it occurs under the regime of state law, not under federally mandated duties. We are not telling the states that they must improve their federal, their grade crossings without the use of federal funds. And I, I would emphasize that throughout the history of this, uh, this problem, that the reports to Congress that the Secretary has done have been quite clear that this is the scheme that was in place before the funding statutes, uh, were enacted or, or supplemented in 1973 and did not recommend any changes in that existing scheme. In the 89 report, for instance, at 3 1 that was submitted to Congress, the Secretary specifically said that the uh, railroad's responsibilities um, are governed uh, by federal uh, standards when federal funds are used, but otherwise. Uh, there is joint responsibility at the crossings, that, and that that is not necessarily a wrong concept. We do thank you very much, Your Honor. Thank you, Ms. Mahoney. Uh, Mrs. Colston, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, may it please the Court. The railroad has gained numerous benefits already from the Federal Railroad Safety Act. They now ask this court to benefit, you, benefit them further by finding that two traditional common law duties are preempted. And we have to get to the subject matter of what is preempted because the regulation is so clear. The regulation in this case, section 434, bears repeating. It starts out, Congress declares... Where can we find this in your brief, Ms. Your Honor, it is all the way through there. Um, very beginning uh, page nine your honor at the very bottom it begins thank you You'll, Congress declares that the laws rules regulations orders and standards relating to railroad safety should be nationally uniform to the extent practicable thus beginning the section with a recognition that all laws relating to railroad safety can't be completely uniform. Then, the second section, a state may adopt 
or continue in force any law, rule, regulation, order, or standard relating to, relating to railroad safety. That's preservative of the state's powers. Then the preemption provision, until the secretary covers the subject matter. This statute is drawn very narrowly. Therefore, it must be construed very narrowly, and especially in light of the presumption against preemption when you've got such traditional state well, why, do, why do you say the statute is drawn very narrowly, Mrs. Colston? Your Honor, without 434, the preemption might have even been broader without it. But it preserves state laws relating to railroad safety until the Secretary covered the subject matter. Well, and that, yes, but th that doesn't strike me as either a narrow or a broad statute. It strikes me as a fairly common preemption provision. Yes, Your Honor, it is fairly common, but the language used, the language Congress chose, we have to assume they knew the meaning of what they were saying. Well, that's, that's exactly the language I'm referring to, and I'm telling you, I don't see how you can classify that as a narrow preemption provision. Uh, Your Honor, I classify it as such because it says the state law is preserved relating to railroad safety. And then, when it says what's preempted, what does it say? The Secretary has to cover the subject matter. Not, the Secretary didn't say, well, when the Secretary passes a regulation that relates to railroad safety, the, se the Congress said, cover the subject matter. That's why I say the statute is narrowly drawn. It's also supported by the legislative history, Your Honor. The legislative history in a, in a railroad congressional hearing addressing federal and state roles under the FRSA, this is what Congress said. The states may adopt or continue in force any law, rule, regulation, etc., until the Secretary has promulgated a specific rule. This prevents the mere enactment of a broad authorizing federal statute from preempting the field. Then, to ensure even more that state law wouldn't be arbitrarily displaced, they included the local safety hazard exception, which says states may adopt rules, regulations that the secretary has already covered when there's a local safety hazard and it's not incompatible with a federal rule and it's not an undue burden on interstate commerce. Reading this, and then reading it as this court always does in light of its stated purpose, the purpose of the FRSA, not as CSX would have you believe, is not uniformity. Congress described the purpose as this act to promote safety in all areas of railroad, railroad operations and reduce accidents and deaths and injuries caused by railroad-related accidents and to reduce damage caused by any accidents involving any carrier of hazardous materials. And that's very important when we talk about speed. The Secretary has not covered the two subject matters at issue here under the express terms of Section 434, read in light of its stated purpose. With regard to speed, first of all, Section 213 does not regulate what the state's common law regulates. It does not, address, it does not cover it. It may relate to speed, but it doesn't completely cover the subject matter. The scope of the act, the beginning of it says... The statute does not say completely subject, completely cover the matter. No, Your Honor. Matter. It, said, it says it has to be a, uh, have adopted a rule, regulation, order, or standard 
covering the subject matter of such state requirements. Yes, Your Honor. Only con congressional history says completely. But it doesn't say relating to either. And it doesn't say addressing, and Congress could have chosen those words. Congress said cover. And that does not cover the subject matter. The beginning of Section 213, Your Honor, says this is all about track safety standards. And it says, well, we're going to govern the geometry, we're going to govern the roadbed, we're going to govern the number and the quality of cross ties along a section of track. Then Congress comes up and says, now based on these factors, how many cross ties you have, based on how, much, how, uh, how many joints and rails and all this kind of stuff, they say, we're going to classify this section of track right here at Cartersville, Georgia, as Class 4. A Class 4 track, you can travel across based on track structure, geometry, and all that. You can travel across it at 60. Now, if the railroad wants to upgrade it to a Class 6, they can travel at 110. Now, then, then you can see that they were addressing one thing. You can read it from the text of that act. They were governing how fast a train can travel and not derail. And that's Ms. Colston, uh, I, I thought about this when I was reading it. Uh, do, do these speeds, uh, uh, these speeds you say, are totally determined by the by the character of the roadbed? Absolutely. Does that mean that in in these rail yards that are that are near Union Station down here, if the roadbed's good enough, the speed would be would be 60 or, or yes, 110? Yes, Your Honor. According are they shown that way on the national maps that that, that that if you want to, you can do 110 in the in the rail yard? Your Honor, I don't know what the national maps show. I will tell you that if this court finds that speed is preempted under this section, the only thing that has to be considered in traveling 110 is whether you're sitting on a class 6 track. And that doesn't have anything to do with grade crossing safety, weather, fog, schools in the nearby area, high volumes of traffic going across the area, nothing that the common law controls. You can see also. You, you say that common law, uh, under your view, I take it, uh, every municipality in the state of Georgia could pass a speed limit for trains passing through it? Yes, Your Honor, and in most cases they do. Ours is, our case is common law. There's a lot of cases out there that did deal with municipal ordinances. And those cases held that it was preempted, but not preempted for the reasons. But those, those cases held what was preempted? That the, lo the local ordinances, speed ordinances, because they the said they. That the local ordinances were invalid? In the lower courts. That's what the lower courts were saying, but they were I'm, I'm asking. I'm asking, what is your position if a municipality passes an ordinance regulating the speed of trains? I believe, Your Honor, that ordinance is not preempted. It does not. This section 213 does not cover the subject matter of that requirement because that requirement would be based on the same factors as the state's common law. And, the traffic... And, and, and different municipalities could have different speed limits in the state of Georgia. Yes, Your Honor, and I understand the concern that you're getting at. But the purpose of the FRSA is not to burden, not to burden interstate commerce, it, it, to place, take a burden away. The purpose is to promote safety. Wouldn't it be counterproductive to allow the railroads to travel at 110 miles an hour through Cartersville, Georgia, at a crossing with 150 feet of sight distance? that they have these trucks going over all the time. Well, you don't deny that the secretary could do that if he wanted to. Your, your, sure your point here is just that this particular regulation doesn't do it. That's absolutely right, Your Honor. So, if you're, I mean, you, you acknowledge, do you not, that if the secretary wanted to establish uniform speed limits for trains, he could? He certainly could. You I'm just not, say he hasn't done it here. No, sir, he has not. And I'm not certain how long he'd be secretary if he did. Because the headlines, if they said, can you imagine saying, Congress says we can travel 110 miles an hour across uh, through grade crossings on all railroad tracks in the United States. 
how likely would it be that it would have been passed? Then, also to support that this regulation only covers derailments and track classification is Senate Report 91. I wonder if you're right about that. Supposing they had adequate, uh, the gates went down, when the gates are down, the lights are flashing, how, why do you care how fast the train is going? That'd be great, Your Honor, but 65% of the crossings out there have no active protection at all. But what I'm suggesting is that perhaps the protection against the particular accidents you described must rely on the crossing problem rather than the speed of the train. It's both very important, Your Honor. As if, far as if, the, if, the, if the crossing's adequately protected, I don't know why, if I'm sitting there in my car, I wouldn't rather have the train go by real fast rather yes. than real slow. <laughs> I know what you mean. One of the witnesses in this case was kind of upset because she didn't get to get her a free pack of coffee by getting to the grocery store at a certain time. And so she was very aggravated by this. But Your Honor... It's a safety factor, too, yes. is it not? I mean, not everybody is as patient as Justice Stevens and, and would sit there if it was a slow... <laughs> Absolutely, Your Honor, and it is a safety factor. However, the Secretary noted in the reports to Congress that it's also a safety factor to have these trains slow down because of the common sense involved. The, long, the slower the train is going, the more time that the motorist has to perceive the train's presence and to react to it, like at this crossing with only 150 foot of sight distance. At 35 miles an hour, it was upon Mr. Easterwood in 3.2 seconds. Imagine if you doubled that to 60 miles an hour. Your Honor, as far as if a gate arms always were in place at every crossing in Georgia, and we had unlimited federal funds and could just put them everywhere, and they always worked properly. They didn't ever malfunction, and they didn't ever give false warnings, and they didn't ever do any of those things. You're right. Speed would not be an issue. That's not the reality of it, sir. The reality of it is that there's not gate arms at every crossing. In fact, most of them, there's not. Many of the crossings are not even a recipient of federal funds because they're, pu they're not public crossings to begin with. What's your position if a, a grade crossing has been improved with the crossing gate uh, using federal funds? Your Honor, if the crossing has been improved... Or, or pardon me, let's say crossing lights using federal funds. <clears throat> we look at those, the gate arm regulations strictly as funding regulations. That's all they are. Every one of you, them... Your, your answer is no preemption. No preemption, sir. And as Justice O'Connor pointed out, they would have an excellent defense if they did what was required by 646-214 in the state law, in state court. And what jury's going to hold them liable for, do, for doing no more than they were allowed to do? That's, that's the way our system works. What but jury is going to hold a railroad liable for doing everything that the railroad... Your Honor, I believe in the jury system. <laughs> I believe in the jury system completely, and I do believe that, that most more times than not, they do the right thing. And they know that when you've put gate arms up and the state says that's enough, they have enough sense to know that you don't hold them liable just because you've got a poor little old lady over here that doesn't have a husband anymore. They have sympathy, but not that much. I know because I'm in front of juries all the time. Now, these are funding regulations. And funding regulations, Your Honor, do not displace state tort law unless they do so with such explicitness that the states know by accepting federal funds how much of their law is going to be displaced. That's not the case here. Every regulation cited applies to federal fund projects. The prioritization is to receive federal funds. Even the secretary states her position, or his position, as overseer to ensure that federal money is appropriately spent. 
The regulations that were promulgated by the Secretary did just that, ensured that federal money is appropriately spent. And of course the federal government wants to do that. And why do they give it to the states? Y'all were asking that question earlier. Why do they give it to the states and doesn't that preemptively? No, they don't have a mechanism for giving it directly to the railroad. It has to go through the state. As I understand it, they have to survey every one of the crossings in the state, right? Private as well as public ones. No, sir. Not the no, private crossings. Not the private, at all. just the public ones. Just the public crossings that would be possible. But they can't look at a map and just say, well, we know, you know, this is a little rinky uh, royal road that no big deal. We're, it's, it's hard to believe that every crossing was required to be examined solely in order to, quote, prioritize. Certainly you could have eliminated 80% of the crossings in the state knowing that those are not the, not the most important ones where you're going to need federal money. Well, maybe they do. Maybe they do take the rinky-dink ones and they, they don't worry about those the ones that are out. They're not allowed to. They have to, under, well, they, under they, the regulations, they have to do all of them. They're supposed to look at them all. I don't know how in practice it actually works, but think about that, Your Honor. Think about if you accept the Solicitor General's argument is that once federal money is spent, you're preempted. Then every time that diagnostic team walks down a section of track, down any area and say 10 miles and they see three or four crossings, just because they walked down there and their salaries were paid with federal funds, you're preempted, according to the Solicitor General, which would, that, that can't be, it can't be. Take the situation here. Where a motion detector Mrs. was... Mrs. Colston, were there federal funds involved in, in, in the site at this case? Your Honor, the, uh, Ms., Mr. Trenum's was correct up to a point that they did decide, they did put it, well, let me say this, they put a motion detector years ago, and the reason why they put the motion detector is they were upgrading four crossings. When they upgraded those four crossings, they decided to put gate arms at all of them, and that included Cook Street. They wanted to do that. But they, they started at West Avenue. Now, West. my question was, were federal funds involved at the site in this case? Surely you can give a simpler answer than that. I wish I could. There were, but they were used to improve the West Avenue crossing because the motion detector at Cook Street wouldn't work with the new circuitry at West Avenue. So, yes, federal funds were spent to put a motion detector at Cook Street some years ago, but it wasn't for the safety of Cook Street. It was to make the West Avenue circuitry work because you have to change it all. It's all tied in together. And the so accident occur, occurred at Cook Street? Yes, sir. That's why it's such a complicated answer. Now, as far as the gate arms and the city saying, no, you're not going to do that, let me tell you what happened. What happened was is it is big. And they said, you can't put an aisle in here because we have lots of tractor-trailer traffic. And it is. It's an industrial area. And you know how wide they have to turn when they can turn? If they put an island in the middle of it, they couldn't have, they couldn't have negotiated that turn. So they said, you've got to put extended gate arms, um, the longer ones. And the railroad said, well, then we've got to raise our communication lines because they're going to interfere. And they said, okay, we'll do it. And everybody went on their merry way. And nobody ever did anything. The railroad never reported back that they had completed raising their communication lines. Then Mr. Easterwood's killed. And they're saying, boom, you're preempted because you wouldn't let us do it. Not the case. That's definitely not the case. And that shows that if you find that these are anything other than funding regulations, how difficult the question is going to be in the lower courts as to when preemption starts, when it ends, what it turns on, the lapse, is there a lapse, is that a problem? It's just common sense 
that these are nothing but funding regulations that do not supplant state tort law. Are federal funds used to conduct the survey? Yes, sir. They are. The states are given a certain amount of funds, and part of it's used for the surveying process um, to pay the diagnostic team. And so there you go. The diagnostic team walks down the track, boom, you're preempted under that analysis. The secretary, in the reports to Congress, noted that because the railroad does have tort liability in cases such as in, in railroad crossing accidents, this continues a, just, uh, a continuing interest, this, excuse me, this justifies a continuing interest on the part of the railroad in the total safety effort. If they were to be preempted, Your Honors, from placing gate arms at our hazardous crossing, it would remove all incentive to improve safety, and that would be in direct opposition to the purpose of the Federal Railroad Safety Act. I'm sorry, Justice Scalia, you had a question. Okay. <laughs> Neither, in this case, is there implied preemption. And I, correct me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, but in Cipollone, it, you all agreed that if you have an express preemption provision, this causes you to not have to look at whether it occupies the field because just by there being a provision, it's assumed that Congress is, did not want to go any further than what was stated in the provision. So far as conflict preemption, there is no conflict here either, Your Honors. CSX, first of all, can easily comply with both of the state requirements at issue here. First of all, the Solicitor General and the Railroad makes the argument that it's counter on the speed argument because emergency braking will place them in a position where that would cause a derailment. And they all concede that this was aimed at derailments. Section 213 was aimed at derailments. Sec emergency braking is not the question here. If you slow down to what's reasonable, you shouldn't ever have to emergency brake. And if a point that came out earlier during Mr. Trenan's argument was very interesting, the fact that the proper lookout claim is still remains in this case. The proper lookout claim couldn't possibly remain if the speed is preempted. Because... The lookout, you just don't have to reduce your speed. <laughs> yes, Your Honor. That kind of makes the state requirement superfluous. <laughs> well, there he goes. <laughs> And that would not make sense. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, the secretary, is, well, let me state, and also it is supported in the legislative history that these were just for derailments, and that's all they were for is for derailment. In Senate Report 91-619, the Senate members were talking about recent catastrophes that had happened from derailments, and they cited one case, one example, where a, a car derailed, and it was carrying hazardous chemicals and it caused an explosion. The explosion destroyed the city's major industry. It destroyed several homes, and it contaminated the water supply for several months. Then they found out that a $50 track repair would have made, caused that derailment not to occur, that that would have happened. If Congress, the Senate members, noted that because of that, they thought that the derailments were caused by poor track conditions combined with higher average speeds. Mr. Parker pointed out to me this morning in the USA Today, a bottom left-hand corner, an article that says 69% of train accidents are derailments. Secretary in Section 213 was only regulating Congress's perceived cause of these terrible derailments that happen so frequently. 
poor track conditions combined with higher average speeds. Thank you. I, I guess it's, it's a little unfair to say that, uh, that lookout is inconsistent with the speed limit. I mean, you have a speed limit of 30 miles in residential areas, let's say. Certainly that, it, that doesn't mean if you see a pedestrian walking in front of you, you can maintain your 30-mile speed, does it? Your Honor, under their interpretation, they say that they don't. In fact, in their reply brief, it amazed me, they said, we still have the duty to slow down to avoid a collision. Well, What's the difference between slowing down to avoid a collision, a specific well, collision, I hope you slow down in residential areas when you're driving a car. Yes, Your Honor. It says there are 30 miles or 25 miles, and you see a pedestrian, nonetheless slow down, don't you? Yes, Your Honor. But you'd say, what's the, what's, what's the, uh, what's the uh, maximum speed? Maximum speed is 25 or 30 miles an hour, right? Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> That's all they're saying here, I guess. That is all they're saying, but what we're doing with the railroad is no more than we're doing with a truck driver on I-75. If he comes to an area where the lanes narrow down into one because they're doing construction, we require him to slow down, to not kill somebody. We don't pat him on the back and say, that's okay. I'm, I, maybe I don't understand the speed issue, but uh, if your answer, I thought their position was they could go 60 miles an hour. It is. And now they're saying in their reply brief that they have the duty to slow down. And that's what's inconceivable to me, Your Honor, is I don't see what the difference is in slowing down to avoid a specific collision and slowing down to avoid a collision because you're in a dangerous area. But they Suppose it's the difference uh, between when you're on an interstate highway that has a posted speed limit of 55 and there's a major curve. Mm -hmm. You are not negligent if it's good weather and everything else is okay and you go 55 miles an hour. Right. right? But you would be negligent if there were, uh, you know, somebody fallen down in the road and you continued at that same speed. Or, That's all they're saying? Yes, that, Your Honor. The normal track conditions allow them to continue to go at whatever that speed is. And That's if right. they see an obstruction, of course they have the duty to slow. And if they knew, by that same reasoning, if they knew that there was a little path there because it was a national park and pedestrians, people frequently and bicyclers frequently went over the tracks there to go into the other part of the national park, would they then not have a duty to know that that hazard's up there and that it's very likely that an accident could occur because the conditions are so bad and not slow down? It's inconceivable, Your Honor, that the Secretary would pass a regulation like that in the name of safety. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Colston. Uh, Mr. Trenins, you have two minutes remaining. I'd like to devote that entirely to the confusion on federal funding. The states, as, uh, as everybody knows, get a lot of federal money for all kinds of purposes in the highways. And the states accept certain responsibilities to get all that money. And one of them is, imposed in the 1973 Act, each state shall conduct and maintain a survey of all highways to identify rail crossings which may require separation or protective devices and establish and implement a schedule of projects for this purpose. States have done that. They haven't objected to it. They're doing it. Federal funds it. And my point is that quite apart from this myoptic view on Part 646, that this requirement is now embraced also, not only in the statute, but also in the federal regs. It's in 924. It's in 1204. These are regulations, and they trigger the preemption. The manual, which the counsel for the Solicitor General said, oh, that's a mere bulletin. It is a regulation. It's in the CFR, and the R stands for regulation. It's described in the CFR as a regulation and a standard, and it specifically puts the responsibility for this narrow question of who determines, gates or no gates, on the states. 
period. And once they do that, 434 kicks in, and having covered that narrow subject matter, not liability generally at grade crossings. We'll keep getting sued every time there's an accident. But as to this determination, the Secretary has covered that subject matter, and that preempts expressly. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Trinas. The case is submitted.